welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're done. The group stage is done and now the real tough stuff begins for the Matildas. We're really excited that we are into a quarterfinal. Like We shouldn't gloss over that fact. We have progressed through to the knockout stages of the Asian Cup. So we'll talk a little bit about this Thailand game and have a little look forward to the game against South Korea, the quarterfinal. It's very, very soon because of tournament football. So we'll crack straight into it. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So joining me, Marissa Lodanik, today is Sam Lewis, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Anna Harrington. We will take you through this Thailand game and, like I said, have a little look-see forward to the quarterfinal. But let's start with this 2-1 win over Thailand. It was stressful especially at 1am. I'm sure the West Coast was like, we're talking about, it was fine, 11pm kickoff, beautiful. No, East Coast, painful, painful, painful kickoff time. But let's talk about the game. And I think where we should start is with the actual lineup and just how many babies were in this lineup, particularly after the kind of hoo-ha of the Indonesia game where everyone was like, we need the babies. The babies got their chance, didn't they, Samantha? They did. And I think it's, I think, important context going into this game and perhaps one of the rationales behind this particular lineup is that we already knew that we were through to the quarterfinals. And so I think that perhaps gave Gustafsson some license to be a little bit more experimental in the way that fans and pundits wanted against Indonesia. But the first two games of this group against Indonesia and the Philippines, we needed to win them in order to get through to the quarterfinal. And so this was the game to really test out I think that much more um, inexperienced starting lineup. And we saw that we got five starting debuts to a bunch of kids, which was great. And I think it was also good to test them against this team, this Thailand, because they were of all three opponents that we had in group B, they were the highest in the world rankings. Uh, We have a pretty patchy history against them and they, they embody a lot of the, um, the the kind of the brand of football that I think we all expected to be facing in this Asian Cup, which is low-lying defences, organised, very good on the counter, um, physical, and they they know our weaknesses and are able to exploit them. And I think we saw, particularly in that first half, that. Yeah, it was great to see all the kids starting, um, but they they came up against a challenge, and that's good because you want them to you want them to you want them to be challenged. You want them to struggle because that's the way that you learn. I don't think they, Marissa, you mentioned this on Twitter as well. Had this lineup started against Indonesia, I highly doubt that they would have learned the same kinds of lessons or solved the same kinds of problems that they had to solve against Thailand. And as a result of that, they're probably going to be much better footballers going forward. And they're going to be much better prepared coming up against a team like a South Korea in the next stage on on Sunday. And hopefully if we get through to the semifinal to potentially another Philippines and maybe even a Japan. So I think ultimately it was a really well-timed lineup and it was a really important lineup because of the various kinds of lessons that all of these younger players we're forced to learn in in that 90 minutes. Agreed, Sam. Uh, and I like that you mentioned Marissa's piece there because that line sort of stood out to me as well about how much more they're going to 
learn from this sort of experience where they have to break down a team, where they have to, you know, think their way through it rather than just <clears throat> what play on pure vibes and be like, oh, it's a kid, they can do fun stuff. They had to think their way through it. And a lot of these um, young players would have played um, iterations, I guess, of this Thailand team at, in terms of youth internationals, like um, playing in Asia. So they, a lot of them would have known what to expect, right? So there was an element of that, but it was good. They, I, I couldn't agree more, Sam. I'm, I think surely they would have learned a lot more from having to, to problem solve and having to come up against a, a tough opponent than, I don't know, getting given, uh, well, half an hour to 45 against Indonesia when the um when the game was one and done at nine nil or whatever it was like <clears throat> they learn a lot more from having to to do it when the game's still open and on the line and it was good it was good seeing them sort of think their ways through it and it was interesting as well especially when you saw say Sam Kerr come on you could see the difference in class and level you go oh the kids did really well but it was a good example of say you know, Remy Simpson did did really well, had that really lovely assist for Emily Van Egmond. And then you see Sam Kerr come on and her movement's just on another level and all of a sudden things just look that bit more dynamic and, as understandably, she's arguably the best striker in the world. So it's it's interesting in terms of getting a look at that. You could tell that there was some very, very clear um, time management across the group stages. I think we called for a little bit of patience after that first game against Indonesia because it seemed pretty clear that there were some, there were some loading plans in place. You know, we knew players like Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford and Alana Kennedy, for example, had been home over Christmas. So hadn't played in a while. We knew Tamiki Yelp, who obviously missed this game um, through COVID. And hopefully it sounds like she's doing well. And I think she might miss the quarterfinal as well, but hopefully she's on the way, on the way back. But it, it, there was clearly some load management there in terms of you look, certain players had like 70 minutes in this game and half an hour in this game and, you know, we're clearly coming off the bench for certain parts of, of each game. And I think that that's that helps when you look at the group stage as a whole. All 23 players got used. When Emily Gilnick got used in for that last sort of 15, 20 minutes, that was the 23rd player, including goalkeepers. Everyone has had a run around. Everyone's got a chance to sort of to do something. Claire Wheeler was fantastic. I think that's the best she's played for the Matildas. Um which, you know, I mean, she's only got a handful of games to, under her belt so far. So, you know, she's only going to improve, but she showed plenty of good things. She controlled the midfield well. And um, I noticed when she was named player of the match, looking on Instagram, um, one of the, the names that came up that liked it was Emily Van Egmond, who obviously got freed up to to play a, in that more advanced role and was also the the leader. And it was it was quite interesting to watch. There's a sort of the balance of, and here's the kids and here's who's babysitting them for the, for for 45 minutes. All right, Steph, your shift's done. And now Sam's going to do a bit of it. And then Caitlin Ford's going to come on. And yeah, it was um, it was good. You, I feel like we got a bit of an insight into what some of those players could do. We, we saw Courtney Vine tested out at right back as well. And um, I mean, I think we knew Charlie Grant and Courtney Vine, like neither of them are going to be able to re- replace Ellie Carpenter, but they both got to show a little bit of what they could do. Like Vine, I thought it was, um, you know, she impressed Ford and then got to, then got tested um, down back and got exposed a couple of times defensively, understandably shifting positions. But we got we got to look at what some of these players can can do when they were under a, in I guess the the pressure of a game that was was live and you had an opposition that really needed to try and get something out of it. So yeah, it, it, it felt like a good good test for some of these players. 
I'm glad that you mentioned the the 23 player um, stat there, Harrow, because that's one of the things that Tony said in the post-match presser after Thailand was that they had two goals heading into the group stage. The first was to top the group because topping the group means that you face uh, the runner-up in the quarterfinal as opposed to if you finish runner-up, you finish, you have to play the winner of another group. And the second was to get through to the quarterfinal with as many players healthy and available and peaking at the same time. So ready to go into these much more high-pressure knockout games in the fittest possible state. And I think absolutely that was one of the key um, sort of rationales for all three squad choices throughout the group stage was to ensure that we did have players who were being load managed, players who were given more minutes than others because they needed to catch up in certain ways. And so that when they get to the quarterfinal and when they get to hopefully the semifinal and the final, they are still going to be in in good physical condition because like the back-to-back nature of these games is just absurd. And I mean, not to sort of put out a massive spoiler, but we're going to have a special episode next week, which talks about load management and tournament football and the importance of calendars and how all this stuff can affect the physiology of players' bodies. Um, and this is a really good example. This, the, you know, two weeks effectively of, of back-to-back football, they only get two to three days worth of rest in between those games. And so player rotation, squad rotation is so, so important. And that's something that I think the Matildas have kind of struggled with over the last couple of major tournaments, especially in Tokyo. We just saw the same players basically used again and again and again. And by the, the point that they reached the, the end of that tournament, they were gassed, particularly our biggest players, our Sam Kerrs, our Catleys, our Carpenters, they were exhausted. So that's what I'm, I'm really pleased about with this this group stage is that we've seen every single player used. We've seen them used in di- different kinds of ways and for different pockets of minutes. And so hopefully that means that heading into the pointy end of this tournament now, they're not going to be uh, fatigued. They're not going to be overburdened and they're not going to be at risk of any injuries heading back into their club seasons either. Spot on, Sam. I think that's what you want to see. You want <clears throat> you want these players to be well managed. We mentioned coming in, there's a lot of them that hadn't played football and it felt like a few of them, it was about getting their touch in, getting them loadings in, getting the minutes in. And, you know, from, the, from that point of view, it's a success. Like um, hopefully Holly McNamara is okay. We're yet to have a full um, update on that injury um with her with her injury history you're always concerned um but hopefully we it's not it's nothing too bad for her but otherwise seems to have come through pretty well unscathed but obviously uh poor Tamiki Alt getting getting COVID um and hope as I said before hopefully we see her back soon um but yeah it was it was a I mean it was a hard fought game I think the thing that I found interesting from the post-match was um, Tony talking about how angry and sort of frustrated the players were that they copped that leg. Oh, it was a banger of a goal. Like, let's not um, deny that. Absolutely sensational hit. But um, I think to put themselves in the position to, you know, concede the set piece and then for the ball to be able to spill out for a player to have pretty much all the time in the world to decide what she wanted to do with it, I can imagine that'll, that'll lead away at a few of them which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. It, w- it would have been nice to come out of it with three wins, what, 24 unanswered goals and, um, you know, just totally blitz it. But to, to cop a late goal, it's not good in terms of the actual result and it, it will highlight some things, but it's 
it's always easier to to pick out some of the things you need to work on when there's a, a key stat there. There's a goal there that will maybe eat away at a few of them as to where they can improve and tighten up because you know you can't afford to be doing those things in in the big games. So it's um yeah, I found that quite interesting that rather than sort of being like, yeah, we've you know we've smashed this group, we're through, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the the focus immediately was, and I'm sure they'll they'll move on from that very quickly, was oh, could have had the the near perfect and we sort of let ourselves down late. So I found that quite interesting. Um, yeah, the other thing was just the, the I mentioned before, that you could see the actual uplift when when Kerr and Fowler, I thought, came on. It really added that, as you'd expect, extra extra dimension. I quite liked seeing some of those players come through and try and hit a bit of form heading into the knockout stage because um, I think it's something we've talked about as well. You want to see the kids get a run and they got really good minutes, really good game time but you needed a few of those senior players to come in and, um, you know, get a bit of confidence up. Sam Kerr's pinched a goal sort of out of nowhere off the back of a goalkeeping error. Just adds another one to the tally. Emily Van Egmond is is looking in really, really good form and is the second leading goal scorer in the comp, despite playing, I think, the whole second game as a six. So, like, she's, um, she's sort of hitting stride. Seems to be finding a groove. Hopefully that's something we see more of as we hit the knockout stages, um, her being enabled to, to go forward and really create and yeah, draw, draw teams out and, you know, do what she's best at because I think we've seen some signs that that, that could be on the way. I think, so we, we talked a bit about the youngsters having to figure out how to unlock Thailand's defense, but I suppose with that late goal as well, the reality of playing babies in new defensive combos is that they are not just in terms of the defensive line, but I guess across the whole um, the whole pitch, you're going to be adjusting to new um, defense, like defending, needing to defend in those big moments. And that's just going to, I think that's just like a, an unfortunate, um, what's the word, growing pain, um, which is, I, I guess that's the other side of it. It's like that vulnerability, I think you can't really avoid it. So you do have to sort of cop those moments a little bit. If we had had a much more experienced starting 11 on the park, I feel like I'd be a little bit more grumpy about the goal, but I sort of get it. It's like, it's the risk that you have to take in terms of trying, because yeah, it was Charlie Grant. She played a full 90. Is that right? And then we also had that Courtney, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but Courtney Vine going to right back. Um, and then Claire Wheeler was also, I think, yeah, in that defensive six role, Claire Wheeler was fantastic. She cleaned up a lot of mistakes and really stepped into, I guess, a leadership role, which is incredible given how early on she is in her Matilda's career. But yeah, that's that's the other side of it because I think, yeah, and it was, um, I was really intrigued by sort of like Courtney never going into centre-back in that second half. But, oh, well, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But it given, I, I suppose, yeah. If you're if you've got young attackers, the worst that can happen is they don't score a goal. But if you've got a young defensive line or an inexperienced defensive line, the worst that can happen is you concede. And obviously, with this score line, that um, that weight is very uneven. But you live and you learn. I don't know. The other thing that was good was um, because of getting the results in the first two games, um, didn't have to take any chances with Lana Kennedy and Ellie, Ellie Carpenter, who are both on yellow cards and also had played obviously significant minutes. So no chances of them, you know, being 
was a moment where Nevin made a turnover and Wheeler was like, oh, no, <laughs> he got back and made a yellow card challenge, just a professional foul. So, like, you didn't have to worry about it being Carpenter or Kennedy put into that situation because they could just be rested. So you're not worrying about anyone picking up a silly suspension for, for the quarterfinals. So that, that I thought that was that was really quite excellent, just, you know, something that, that we needed. I had a, a question for you all to kind of answer if you had the answers. So I know I wrote about it and I know, Sam, you wrote about it as well. The 2018 game against Thailand, the semifinal against Thailand, coloured a lot of our kind of hopes and fears heading into this game and it was just kind of that sort of cloud that hung over this game and what we expected and things of that nature. So I wrote for my ESPN piece that we were similarly similarly good at creating shots and similarly can't say that word and similarly bad at actually converting them. So in that 2018 game the Matildas registered 27 shots for only seven on target and then obviously the the two goals, one of which was an own goal. In this most recent game, 24 shots, eight on target, only two goals. So do we look at that scenario as glass half full, we're creating chances, or glass half empty, we're not actually converting them? Well, again, I think the important thing to consider is the difference in the rosters. Like that semi-final against Thailand was almost the strongest possible lineup that the Matildas had at the moment, bar Sam Kerr, who for some bizarre reason was kept on the bench until the 70th minute when all of a sudden Alan Stagic was like, oh, maybe we should put this like really good goal scorer up onto the field and see if she can do something. Um, whereas here, it's, you know, the, the strikers that we had up until, funnily enough, Sam Kerr came onto the field uh, were quite inexperienced. Um, we had a Remy Sampson, who's a very, very different kind of player. And I think she um, didn't, I mean, she doesn't really offer what Sam Kerr does. She's more of a back to goal connecting kind of player, whereas a Sam Kerr, I think, is more dynamic. And we saw that almost immediately. And she helps to open up other players as well. Um, like Kara Cooney Cross, for example, I think she 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 found an extra level once Kerr was on the field and she was able to become a little bit more creative and more incisive with her passes. Um, but Samson, uh, I think she did a great job, but she she's just not that kind of um, clinical goal scorer yet. She's developing the tools in order to be that. And this game would undoubtedly have been really significant as a learning opportunity for her. But the fact that it took Emily Van Egmond and Sam Kerr to score the goals when you had a pretty traditional number nine, as well as two um, very good attacking wingers. It, you know, we talked about the golf in quality and things like that. Um, I think that was where that was on display. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I mean, the Thailand game in 2018 was it was just the culmination of so many problems that the Matildas had been having over the sort of the year leading into that, particularly the, the previous six months leading into that Asian Cup. And it all just came to fruition there. But I think one of the things, one of the things that I think the both of us addressed in our pieces, Marissa, is that whereas the Matildas in that semifinal were oftentimes kind of relegated to just like hopeful, like looping crosses and long balls, what I really liked about particularly the first half um, against Thailand in the group stage was that we didn't really see very much of that kind of style. It was much more keep the ball on the ground, 
try and find passes along the grass from the baseline and, and really cutting in behind Thailand's defenders. So I think that's where the Matildas are improving. They're not just sort of falling back on what they tend to do when they panic, which is just bomb balls forward and hope that someone gets onto them. They continued their game plan. They, they, they kept trying and, Ultimately, it worked. You know, we saw that lovely pass to, which was so reminiscent, right, of that, uh, the goal that Van Egmond scored in the Olympic qualifiers against China, where Kai Simon laid off that square pass just outside the box and she rocketed into the corner. Pretty much the similar thing. And it was Remy Sampson who was able to deliver that because she came deeper to collect the ball and she was part of that link-up play. So I do think the Matildas are sort of developing more of a multi-dimensional approach to games like a Thailand. And I think that's going to stand them in very good stead going forward. Yeah, it's. I, I agree with you completely there, Sam. Like, it, I think it's almost impossible to compare the two. The the stakes were different. In Thailand, it was a knockout. <clears throat> Sorry, in, in 2018, the Thailand game was a knockout favourites versus very much the underdogs, um, whereas that Matildas team had thrived on, um, well, literally winning as the underdog against teams like the US and that amazing um, Tournament of Nations run and those sorts of things. Whereas this is a different scenario, totally different um, roster, like you're getting young players trying to figure out before calling on some experienced heads. The pressure wasn't there. They're already through. Um, And if they finished second in the group, it wouldn't have worked out badly anyway because they're would have been playing Taiwan. So, like, you know, <clears throat> not not so much in terms of the stakes. Um, it is interesting in terms of the, I think the chances are something that is worth touching on. And <clears throat> there are a few that were sort of out of character. Like there was one where you'd go, the ball comes to Mary Fowler and you'd expect her to drill it just because that's what we've got used to seeing her do. She's so efficient around goal and she's blasted it. And <clears throat> I think Sam Kerr in the sort of foreground of the picture was just about ready to celebrate and then went, oh, it didn't go in like these things happen, but yeah, it's like you say, Sam. It's 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 it was a matter of some of those chances had to had to fall to sort of the more experienced players to be buried. It's um, it's not it's not unexpected. I I didn't find it overly concerning. I guess the performance. I think I don't know if it's <clears throat> I don't know if it's a matter of we were watching this match at one in the morning. Maybe that so all my thoughts were a little bit blunted. But um, yeah, I I just don't feel like there was the same sort of stakes to this one as in 2018 so you could sort of look past a few of these things it wasn't the strongest lineup I think we addressed a few concerns about being able to break down um, a really disciplined lineup in the Philippines game prior um, so I don't think it was quite so can they do it like it's not like the previous game had been super open and you know Australia had just been playing through a team they'd come up against a really resolute and disciplined team in in literally a game a few days earlier so I think I felt like they'd answered a few questions around that. Um, it was interesting watching it in real time. Maybe the the young players having to learn they have to move the ball quicker. Like if you're going to break down these teams, you have to move the ball quicker. You have to have that extra intent and intensity. It's it's a real step up. And, you know, I, I imagine they would have got a lot out of it, as we said before. And it, it's unsurprising that it took a bit of class um, from some senior players to, to sort of unlock it. Um, I mean, the Emily Van Egmond one's a classic, right? If you if people have set up a really low defensive block, one way to get past it is shooting from long range. And um, I enjoyed that she put that one away, like so just sort of delicately and wonderfully and perfectly. And then literally like a minute later, gets the ball outside the area and just blasts it into outer space. Like it was um, a little bit of the, a little bit of both, but yeah, I, I don't know, Marissa. I didn't, I didn't feel like 
it, there was any sort of hangover in that sense. It was funny, um, I, and I enjoyed seeing that theme throughout both of your pieces, but I didn't feel like it was a, a shadow hanging over this match. I don't know if maybe that will come to the fore when we play, if, sorry, if we get to a point of playing Japan, then I think maybe a few things come up. But for this one, it was like, it's a young team, they're testing them out, they're getting minutes into players. They got the job done, um, they conceded a goal. But yeah, on another day, if you had a more experienced lineup, if we hadn't been burying chances in the same fashion, you'd think cause for concern. But it wasn't, you know, strongest lineup. It wasn't, I didn't expect it to be our most fluid football. So not too concerned. I think culturally, we're also in a very different place. Well, obviously, um, to that game against Thailand. And maybe I'm just sort of bringing the baggage that I had when I was watching that semi-final back in 2018. But I feel like there's maybe, maybe it's a little bit of arrogance because the Tillies were on such an, sort of on an up um, in terms of people's awareness in Australia about them. There was a lot of excitement. There were those big home games in 2017. and But at the same time, there were these on-field issues that were sort of, as you said, Sam, sort of simmering away under the surface um, that sort of became quite apparent um, in this moment, whereas I feel like, and I don't know, it was just like, what Anna said about you, we like to be the underdogs, but perhaps we came into that game thinking that we were the big dogs. Whereas I don't feel like um, that that sort of perspective is brought anymore. There seems to be like, for example, not to harp on about how we love Tony or whatever, but like in terms of the initial friendlies that he set up, us being basically set up to get thumped so that we could learn something that, but then at the same time, looking at a game like this and respecting Thailand as an opponent and knowing that we can put out a team that is going to test our youngsters, and they're still going to get something out of that, but still being strategic in terms of making sure that we can get a win. I think that's really um, important. And also, I just, I just remember there was just the discourse after that game was just not good. It's really nice to be able to step away from this game and, and see how much more measured and... Um, I guess, what's the word, measured, but like sort of informed the general discussion is. I I feel like that's been a really positive thing. We're in such a different place now with women's football generally in terms of commentary and critique. Um, And I think, yeah, it's it's a good thing on the whole because, I yeah, the 2018 game, it was like, oh, I nearly lost to Thailand. But it's like, well, yeah, like it makes sense and it's not good, but. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just dithering at this point, but culturally different different moments, but um, the vibe's much better this time. Like even with that late goal, I think, yeah, it's it's a good place to be. And obviously we had a very a strong purpose or a strong um, goal or outcome that was needed from this game in terms of testing the youngsters, which as Anna has said, I think we really did that, so... I did like that um, some of these players, I think it was four players, got their starting debuts. And you saw some of them, like Courtney Vine was probably the standout in terms of coming out and doing exactly what you expected she'd do. Like I think we saw when she came on, her and McNamara, when they came on as substitutes, um, we, we always thought they could probably be, you know, good impact subs and make their mark and do what they've done so well in the A-League women. But I did enjoy that we saw that intensity straight away um, in this game, that they got the chance to start and, you know, McNamara was getting into wide spaces, charging at defenders, using her speed. Um, obviously, 
going for shots. And and Vine was doing exactly what we know she can do as well, like trying to take players on. Uh, it was almost like one of – it might have been Amy Chapman on commentary basically. <laughs> it's like she she looks up and just goes, I'm going to take them on. And every time <laughs> that's what she's going to do. It's like, what are my options? There's take the player on or literally anything else. I'm going to take him on. And she <laughs> just goes for it. And it was quite interesting hearing from from – this was Chapman saying that um, who obviously played at Brisbane Raw where Courtney Vine, we learned recently from, from, from Stato Andy Howe, Victorian born and bred. So there you go. We love to see it. But came through the Brisbane Raw system and Amy Chapman said that she was sort of, you know, this young kid with talent and the question was, does she have that drive and intensity to, to make it and to, you know, to kick on to this next level? And She's now a few years down the track and it's sort of one of the older ones of these kids. Like she's not a teenager um, in her early twenties. It looks confident. We've said this looks confident. Nobody looks confident to make an impact. And you wonder if it's maybe a little bit of a pointer as to her and Wheeler as well. Who's I think 23, 24, maybe more of what we'll see going forward. Like you look at the U S where they've had players not crack it until they're 22, 23 finished college made an impact. And now you're seeing players like Vine and Wheeler who physically are able to show that they're up to it. Um, kids like McNamara and Fowler just have that, Fowler's on another level, obviously have that raw potential that they can sort of make an impact and show burst. Mary Fowler's obviously gone to another level. But maybe it is going to be more common if we see other players break through that it is sort of closer to that that age of the early 20s that Vine and Wheeler, for example, are reaching where they They've got a good amount of senior football under their belt. They're confident. They're they're banging the door down, and they're sort of saying, "Well, you can't not pick me." <laughs> so, and then when they've come in and actually got that chance, they are making an impact. And we saw Wheeler initially, maybe on her debut, didn't really do a lot, which is fair enough. But then after that, gradually inserted herself into games, and now has started two games at the Asian Cup and been very good. And I thought was excellent against Thailand. Did everything you wanted her to do as a six. And Vine, to maybe a slightly lesser extent, we saw her get thrown, as I said before, to fullback, just came in and wanted to make an impact, do the job, do what she'd been brought in to do and what, what Tony Gustafson had said these players have been brought in to do. So I, that, that's a couple of the things that, that quite excited me in terms of, I know we talk about playing the kids and so often you expect them just to, you know, show a little cameo here and there, but to see them want to come in and play a genuine, serious role, that's, that's what excited me. I imagine psychologically as well, if you're a little bit further into your career, um, like no offense to teenagers, but they're teenagers and sometimes they don't know what they want and they might just be going with the flow, even if they're like incredibly talented, you know what I mean? Um, Whereas if you've got someone like a a Seamson or a Vine, they like, they've been putting in the work and they've been, it's sort of probably more hard it and so there's probably a desire to actually prove themselves a lot more than potentially someone who's been told that they're hot shit for you know a decade or whatever and is still quite young I don't know I I wonder where like psychologically how that all um plays out for these for these players but yeah and you can't fault the the babies who's again we say babies we mean like emotionally not age-wise I feel like that should be clarified and it's not a term of condescension it's a term of affection um but also I just wanted to also I think it's great that in terms of like what we're seeing at Tilly's level like it's never 
too late. That seems a bit like American dreamy, neoliberal, whatever. But like the fact that Ivy Luke is um, in and around this squad and she's been such a consistent and wonderful player, I think that that speaks to if you've got it and you've got the the right attitude and um, you you fit in with what this squad needs to offer, then there's going to be opportunities. And I've talked about this before. I just think that that's a, just on the whole an, an excellent thing that no matter your age, you think that there you could have a chance and that you're going to put it in their effort and do the work, then great. Yeah, I hope that other players in the dub take this on as well. They see that when McNamara and Vine in particular, and we saw Simpson start as well, obviously, given their chance, they've gone and taken it with both hands and they've made themselves impossible to ignore. And I think that has been a criticism coming into these um, these squads maybe of people saying, oh, but what about this player from the dub? What about this one, this one, this one? And hopefully that these players have come in and have made an impact and are looking, you know, in place. And it's been great seeing sort of the social media presence. I think when Vine got a debut, you saw Sam Kerr on Instagram say, you know, congratulations, hashtag Vine time. Like they're getting around these players. These players are earning their spots. And that's that's the key is, you know, earning the opportunity but I hope it makes some other players who maybe were sitting back in the dub going, oh, well, you know, maybe they're just not looking at me, feel like they can actually break through and create more competition for places. Obviously, it's not coming in this tournament, but there's still a little way to go before 2023. So, yeah, it's um, it's good in terms of in terms of that. I want to clarify two things. When we say babies, I think maybe newbies is probably the better term they're the newer players the less experienced players but babies is the word that fell out of my mouth so newbies is probably what I should be using also with the creating chances question I think just clarifying where I was coming from with it I've noticed over Tony's tenure he said it in a few press conferences post-match where he likes to mention that the stats and the final score line haven't aligned where we've been creating the chances but we haven't scored maybe using the semi-final as an example wasn't the right thing. And obviously I do want to acknowledge that there is the the young lineup, the young inexperienced lineup. But I just thought it was interesting that it's that he likes to talk about. So that was kind of the basis of that question there. I like the point though, Marissa. I think overwhelmingly if you're creating chances, it's, it's glass half full. As long as they're good chances, like because if you're being forced into taking speculative shots and you're not actually create, you know, like you're having to sort of half arse your way into to having shots on goal, then no, like maybe the first half of the Philippines is an example where you have lots of shots, but how many of them are genuine chances? Not great. But if you having examples like against Thailand where Mary Fowler's in a golden position and just misses it, then you're like, well, it's glass half full because she's got in the right position and most times you back her to back her to score. So generally I think if you're creating good chances it's overwhelmingly a positive thing because if you're creating nothing, like what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna score if you're not ever creating anything. But if you, if you're sort of battering, you know, banging down the door, and we've seen this with the US, and I imagine this is where Tony gets a lot of it from. If you're banging down the door, and all you need to do is convert that last header, that last shot, and we saw it with that Catley to Kerr for the opening goal against the Philippines. The general, you're gonna break through at some point. So I like to think of if you're creating all the chances. It's a it's a glass half full. And I don't think we're seeing too much of, you know, open goal misses and, you know, poor execution. I'd be more concerned if we weren't seeing the link-ups and we weren't seeing the combinations. But I think we are seeing them. It's, 
And I think still feel like there's more to come from some players. Caitlin Ford, for example, I think there's still a fair bit more to come from. Um, we've only seen Hayley Razzo play the one game and she's obviously hit a bit of form at club level. I think we'll have a better indicator come come the knockouts. But I, I think I'm, I'm generally feeling class half full about our conversion heading into heading into these big games. Sam? Yeah, and we shouldn't forget that, like, they're coming up against blocks of four or five defenders as well. Like, if we look at this Thailand game, and I think the Philippines game was another really good example, we had 23 shots, eight of them were on target, and 21 of them were from inside the box. Like, there were players in the way in a lot of those instances. It's not that we just missed the goal and they just like went into Rosette. Like they were, they were blocked. They were defended. They were, there were seven blocked shots of the eight that were on target, you know, like Thailand defended really well. The Philippines defended really well. And we can probably expect that South Korea is going to be defending really well as well. So yeah, like we are creating the opportunities, but let's not just sort of dismiss the fact that these opportunities are being defended very well too. And that's what I think is different perhaps about this Matilda's team is that we have so much more variety when we find that there is one particular channel or one particular sequence that we have tried and tried again, and it's just not pulling, we're not not converting it when it's not happening. We have so many other options and we have so many other players who can provide so many alternatives and different methods towards getting towards goal that I feel so much more confident about coming up against Thailand's and South Korea's and Japan's because in in previous iterations and in previous games, I feel like the Matildas have sort of gotten to potentially like plan B or C and then they've been like, all right, well, what now? We'll just sort of keep doing that and hope that one of them goes in eventually. But I think now with this squad, and that was probably one of the big rationales behind it from Tony's perspective as well, is that we needed to have a multifaceted attacking system. We needed to have players who were able to improvise. We needed to have players who were able to form different kinds of combinations in different kinds of ways and different kinds of moments so that we're not predictable. And that's one of the really good things about having a bunch of newbies come into this squad is that opposition teams and opposition coaching staff probably don't have as much information about these fringe players as what they do of a Kerr or a Catley or a Carpenter because there's so much more footage of them out there and they've played them before. They've played them at senior football before. So that's what I'm, I'm excited about going forward, I suppose, particularly against South Korea because I think of the well, depending on who we potentially play in the semifinal, but of the of the last three games that we could play before getting to that final, I think the South Korea um, the South Korean team will pose um, sort of a more heightened version of all of the different challenges that we faced over the course of the group stage. And I'd really like to see some of the newbies get another go because I think they would have taken a lot from these past three games and from the training that they've had, um, and they should hopefully be able to apply that quite quickly. Um, hopefully against a team that we actually really do need to beat now. And having managed players well, I think will be really important for these games because if you've got players that are knackered, they're more likely to revert to tired, frustrated long ball to Sam Kerr. We saw that with a bit of the frustration early against the Philippines, obviously, right? And we even saw a bit of it late in the game against Thailand, but not too much. Whereas if they're fresh, they're looking, you know, you've got Ellie Carpenter looking to cut inside. You've got players looking to overlap. You've got players looking to take on. Um, and we know how just elite Sam Kerr's movement, for example, is like you, if, with them being fresh and ready to go and confident, you, 
you put yourself in a really good position to, to break down those teams and back that your fitness is going to be superior and that you can, you can last out. And we saw, we did see that to an extent against the Philippines was the first goal came, you know, that's sort of broken, the, not broken the damn wall because it wasn't a thrashing or anything, but it's, it's cracked things open and just, you know, opened the possibility for more, for more chances and to create more. And that's, that's the thing. I think we'll see it against South Korea, especially if they can score early. If, if, if Australia can score early, then, the confidence will be super high and they can kick on with that. But I feel like they can take a lot, as you say, Sam, I like the word heightened challenge. Like it's taking some of the things that will have happened against the Philippines and Thailand and knowing that they can break down that sort of defense will give a lot of confidence, especially with two different lineups can break it down heading into this match against South Korea, which it's, it's intrigued me because, you know, I mentioned it before, if they finished second in the group, they might've played Taiwan, which would ideally be an easier part of the way to, to the final, but I always think it's, it's tournament football. If you're going to win it, you're going to have to beat the best at some point, right? So it's um it's another good challenge, but I feel like in these group games, they've shown that they do have the tools to unlock that sort of defence. So they should have a lot of confidence and also fitness going into this one. We've talked about what we're expecting from us heading into this game, but what are we expecting from South Korea in this quarterfinal? Yeah, I mean, they drew 1-1 against Japan in their final group game. Um, But for anyone who watched that game, Japan probably should have scored a couple more uh, against that South Korea side. They didn't really offer a huge amount going forward. They obviously have one of the best midfielders in the world in Jisoo Yun, and Sam Kerr will be highly familiar with what she offers. But the thing that Japan did really well was they knew that she was their linchpin player. They knew that she was their creative outlet. And so they just they overwhelmed her and South Korea really struggled to create opportunities without her being centrally involved. And so Tony obviously, and the Matildas will be fully aware of that and will be all over it. I would expect that if Claire Wheeler doesn't start in defensive midfield, then it will be Ivy Lewick because you need to have someone who is very experienced and has a very good engine to be able to keep up with someone like G. Um, Outside of that, I mean, they South Korea, we have a pretty good record against them over the course of our history. We've played them 19 times and we've won 13 of them. Uh, most recently, there was the uh, the Cup of Nations that was here in Australia in 2018. Um, they weren't that great from what I can remember. I think we won 4-1 or 2019, was it? I don't know. Time isn't real anymore. Um And they, I mean, if you think about who are the sort of the big standout players from South Korea, there's maybe two who come to mind, whereas it's a very different prospect when it comes to a player like uh, a team like Japan, sorry, or even a team like China who are much more identifiable and have many more players who are playing at the highest possible level. Um, They play a pretty predictable kind of Japan-esque style of football. They like to hold the ball. They like to keep it on the ground. They like to pass it around. Um, But I think what the Matildas have over the South Koreans is both speed and fitness. And that's something that um, we've leaned into as a sort of a a culture, I suppose, of football at at Matilda's level for a while. Um, And this team, and particularly the younger players that we've been talking about, your Vines, your McNamara's, um, your Fowler's, your Kari Cooney Crosses, they they have that burst of speed, that power, that pace that I think is going to um, spin South Korea into a couple of knots, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, again, it's, it, they're just going to be a sort of a more refined version of the teams that we've come up against already. And so I think we've been very well prepared 
um, heading into this game. And I'll be surprised if we if we lose. I mean, I'll be surprised if we lose the final, if we get to the final. But I'll be particularly surprised if we lose against South Korea because they haven't been uh, particularly, um, I guess, impressive um, over the last few years. And this tournament's been a bit, yeah, as well. Sam, if we lose... Do not curse. We're gonna, we're gonna have to, buddy, defend you from the from the pitchfork mob. <laughs> after that, Sam, you will be removed from the Far Post <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that is a threat. I'll oh, tem- it's fine. <laughs> that the is, old fate tempter over here. <laughs> that is a one hundred percent credible threat. But I will say, with South Korea, I, I'm glad you mentioned Jisoo Yoon. We know how excellent she is. But also worth noting, South Korea scored six goals in the group stage. She scored four of them. So it's not maybe necessarily no G no party. But if she's not there, you're probably not having a good gathering. So that's something to keep in mind. Anyway, that's enough from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have an excellent kickoff time for the East Coast, 7 p.m. on Sunday night. It'll be across the uh, channels of 10 and 10 play. Matilda's South Korea, we absolutely cannot wait. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google. Leave reviews, subscribe wherever you listen. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until the quarterfinal, go Tillies and see us. <laughs>